Everyone to Sources, a podcast on history and culture from Kena Academy. I'm Andrew Zorneman, your host. In this episode, Kena Academy's Joe Wood interviews the renowned French scholar Rémy Brague. Professor Brague is one of France's leading political and legal philosophers. In fact, he's one of the leading thinkers in the Western world. Joe was in Paris recently and had the wonderful opportunity to record a conversation with Professor Brague. I hope you enjoy this international podcast. Well, I'm visiting with Professor Remy Brog in his beautiful apartment in Paris. And uh, Professor Brog, thank you for agreeing to answer some questions for us tonight. The first, uh, the first question I wanted to answer comes from something that you wrote recently, uh, an interview that you gave, in which you said that when you think of Western civilization and the Western tradition, you prefer not to think of the roots of Western tradition, but you prefer the sources of Western tradition. Why do we prefer sources to roots? Well, images have their own worth, and this worth is limited. But uh, as far as images are concerned, I do prefer the image of the sources because it's more dynamic than roots. Roots are something that stay where they are. Or if, they, if you uproot the tree, well, it simply dies out. And well, what I meant when I told my old friend Pierre Manin, with whom I had this interview, the interview you were alluding to, is that thinking of our points of reference, thinking of our origins as being roots, well, changes a living, a, a dynamic process into uh, some sort of vegetative uh, life mm -hmm. and a life that is unable to move whereas a source is something to which you have to go in order to fetch uh, the, li the life-giving water and for this reason uh, this uh, involves that we have some effort uh, in order for us to uh, appropriate those, uh, well, those cultural goods on which we, we live. Uh, we don't have simply to wait for the sap to come up uh, into the bows and mm. into the twigs that we are. We have to do things. We have to learn, for instance, well, this is the very process of education, we have to get back uh, from time to time and as uh, frequently as possible to the origins of our culture in order better to understand them, better to get them, better to uh, feed on them. Mm -hmm. And this is what I meant. But of course, as I told you, a metaphor is only a metaphor and I can hardly uh, set its sights so high as to capture the whole truth of the matter. Well, going back to one of the sources, for better or for worse, as you have written about in some of your research, René Descartes announced that we, he would no longer be interested in the final cause of physical things, nature, natural things, and the, in the understanding of natural science. As if there is no telos in nature, he was only concerned about improving the human estate mm -hmm. and that he would not uh, 
he would not trouble himself with trying to understand God's purposes, which were, after all, inscrutable. He would only understand nature itself. Was that removal of final cause, that, that decision to withdraw from the investigation of what things are for the sake of, just to understand how we can manipulate those things, was that a good idea? It certainly had enormous consequences for physical science, but seems to have had consequences for moral and political thought as well. Well, first of all, this decision to uh, do away with the uh, uh, final causes, uh, first of all, to do without them, it was not taken exclusively by my fellow countryman, René Descartes, mm -hmm. but by uh, a fellow who hailed from the other side, from the wrong side of the channel, I mean a Brit, uh, Francis Bacon. Mm -hmm. And he was far more effective and far more pungent against this uh, idea of final causes. Uh, he uh, compared, well, he, has the, he had the habit of uh, replacing philosophical arguments with um, uh, comparisons, with literary comparisons from classical literature and things. And he said on this, on this point that final causes are like consecrated virgins. They are barren. You know, they can't uh, beget anything. Mm -hmm. They don't produce new knowledge. And well, as far as getting a uh, scientific knowledge in the post-Galilean uh, meaning of this phrase, i.e. in order for us to get a mathematical description of physical phenomena, well, it is to be sure uh, uh, useless to um, mobilize sort of final causes. We can do without final causes, the efficient causes are enough, and even in the 19th century, two centuries after Descartes and Bacon, we simply, or some philosophers, simply gave up the whole idea of a cause and replaced it, replaced the research for causes uh, with uh, the simple writing of the laws. We ignore the causes of things, not only the final causes, but the causes to cool, mm -hmm. any kind of cause, including the efficient causes. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, well, as far as a description, as a rigorous description in mathematical language of physical reality is concerned, well, this works. This works. We need no uh, causes at all. And in particular, no final causes. But the upshot of all that is that we can't anymore understand physical phenomena. I insist on the verb to understand. Uh, what does it mean? We understand what a person is doing when we understand why, what for he or she is doing that. We understand what a person does when he or she throws a letter uh, into a mailbox because we understand his or her intention. He or she wants her letter to be brought by the postman to uh, uh, the correspondent. And well, as far as nature, physical nature is concerned, if we give up the idea of a final cause, we don't understand it. 
Mm-hmm. We live in a world in a world that we can uh, sort of submit uh, a world that we can uh, make useful uh, for our own purposes, including uh, alleviating the evils of human condition. This was uh, uh, Bacon's uh, uh, intention, or prima facie uh, intention, uh, intention at first blush, I mean. But we are sort of isolated, like castaways, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a world that we don't understand anymore. And this fosters uh, a, um, an intellectual and uh, uh, spiritual stance that could be compared very well with the situation of what uh, historians of uh, religion call Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gnostics were those people who, in the, around the second era, uh, of uh, the second century, sorry, of the Christian era, conceived the existence of uh, human beings as uh, souls that had led a life in some uh, super heavenly place and that, for some reason, fell down into the quagmire of this netherworld. Mm-hmm full of, uh, well, unpleasantnesses, to be once more rather British. And and we are in this kind of predicament, right? I mean, the whole uh, uh, Western mankind, and perhaps the humankind at large, uh, we are in such a situation. We can manipulate things. We can do, we can make a great deal of things, but we can't understand Uh, the world is meaningless. And the trouble is that we sort of live on meaning. Mm -hmm. We are beings that can hardly do without meaning. Meaning is perhaps more important in the long run than water and bread. And well, on this point, uh, natural science has nothing to tell us. Mm -hmm. Now, along the same lines, as you survey the confusion that results from what you've just just described, the political and moral confusion. Mm-hmm. What do you think young people should do now in their education? What should they seek in their education in order to get themselves through or around the confusion that you've described? Uh, well, a possible answer would be to learn how to manipulate this huge machine in which we live. And this is, by the way, what... Well, well, I should say 90%, 99% of present-day education is driving at, i.e., uh, well, producing a, a set of workers, not only people who work with their hands, but people who work with their grease cells, who can keep the machine running. Mm-hmm. But this won't give us any inkling of what's all about uh, any uh, idea of uh, where the meaning of all that, uh, why, what are we doing there, why are we there, and so on. Why should we try uh, to get uh, richer and richer, uh, perhaps even happier and happier, 
provided money makes happiness, which is still to be proven. And what I would recommend would be uh, to uh, indulge in what the ancient world called liberal education. Well, this had quite a deeper meaning at this time than uh, at present. For us, liberal meaning means, well, let's say, classics, uh, Shakespeare, uh, okay, dead white males, uh, <laughs> as the common idiom. Uh, liberal means, literally speaking, the studies that become a uh, free person. Mm -hmm. Things that we do not because we have to do them, but because we like to do them. And we like to do them because they are interesting, because they are beautiful, because they tell us things about, well, the meanings, uh, or the possible meaning, if there is only one, uh, of, uh, of things, of, of, of the whole show. In contradistinction, uh, to uh, the servile arts uh, in the ancient world, there were slaves. Thank goodness <laughs> we have no other slaves than mechanical ones mm -hmm. at present. But in the ancient world, there were things that the slaves did, i.e. there were cooks, there were uh, well, cobblers, uh, there were carpenters, uh, they did things, they worked. And free people, free people could uh, devote themselves to what is really interesting, to what we don't have to do, but that we like to do. And well, I would counsel, uh, I would uh, give as a piece of advice to young people, get interested in what is beautiful. Beautiful. What is beautiful, uh, well, is not useful. Uh, the most useful things are, from time to time, ugly. And they have to, they have to be ugly. Um, but uh, what is beautiful has an interest in itself. And this is a property that beautiful things share with, with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are n uh, we uh, free persons, uh, any person, any person. Uh, well, we, we, we are not the tools uh, for uh, some other pursuit. Mm -hmm. We are the very end. We are ends in ourselves. And perhaps we should get uh, a better understanding, a better consciousness of our being ends in ourselves by getting interested in things that have the same, say, the same status mm -hmm. um, uh, as, as our own status. Yeah? We are sort of works of art. Yeah? Uh, we have the same kind of being, i.e. we are ends in ourselves, and mm. not means, and not means. I want to switch topics just for a second. You've written a famous essay arguing that, uh, that surprises some people, arguing that all political regimes are one way or another theocratic. I don't want to make you repeat the whole essay tonight in answering this question, but just could you briefly explain what you mean when you say that all regimes have a theocratic component or some sort of theocratic basis? Well, to be sure, 
I wanted to be provocative. I wanted to uh, kick uh, the uh, uh, ant heap in order to have people uh, give a bit of thought to the last presuppositions of what they are doing. And well, uh, some people think that the struggle at present is between democracy and theocracy. For they understand, say, the Islamic world as, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, submitted to uh, the rule of, uh, not directly of God, but to the rule of men of religion, mm -hmm. uh, people who uh, lift uh, their uh, finger and tell them you should do that because God wants it to you to do it. And well, if we look at the uh, ground, at, at the last ground of things, we'll observe that our own political system, i.e. democracy, and I'm afraid I know of no better one than this one, uh, our democracies uh, rely uh, in the last resort on the idea that each and every human being has a free access to the truth and to the good, to the true and to the good. For otherwise it wouldn't make sense to uh, give each person one voice, one vote. Yeah? One man, one vote uh, is, at first blush, a weird principle. And th there is this recurrent objection of reactionary uh, people who say, well, you can hardly give one vote to uh, a Nobel Prize and to uh, well, the most stupid people in the village. Well, uh, our democracies are grounded in the last resort, uh, whether they know it or not is another kettle of fish, but they are grounded on the Christian principle, according to which each and every man has access to uh, the good and can judge about what is right and what is wrong, because of the presence in him or her of a conscience, of the conscience, the moral conscience that tells us uh, thou shalt not do that, uh, do that, uh, and not uh, something else. And now, um, if every Frenchman has learned at school the uh, rather rhetoric, uh, rather bombastic utterance of the philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau, in which he exclaims, he has an outburst of uh, sentimentality, as often with him, conscience, divine instinct, immortal and heavenly voice. Divine, divine instinct. Hmm. This is quite a strong way for him to express himself. Hmm? And well, perhaps we should take this seriously. Seriously, uh, conscious, conscience, moral conscience is the voice of God in us. And this is the last instance, this is the last judge, the, the, the highest judge 
of our doings. And for this reason, we vote because we obey our conscience. We vote and we choose uh, people who will govern us for better or for worse. And for this reason, the last ground, the, 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 the deepest point uh, that we can reach when we are looking for the uh, basis of uh, our uh, political regimes, which is democracy, is divine in nature. Mm -hmm. And for this reason, I ventured, <coughs> of course, the, the, the weird formula <laughs> according to which uh, there is no other uh, political regime as theocracy. The difference being that in some case, which is our case, conscience, uh, uh, God speaks mm -hmm. through the voice of conscience, whereas in Islam, for instance, God has written or has had his voice taken down by, uh, well, the people who uh, uh, listened to his prophet Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And for this reason, we have uh, two theocracies are facing each other. And there might not be another possibility. The trouble, so let me add a rider. The trouble in our modern world is that we are uh, slowly losing touch with this idea of the divinity of conscience. We uh, spend, or some people, spend a great deal of time in debunking the idea of conscience, showing that conscience is not the voice of God, but the voice of some complexes, some deep psychological complexes that we got in nursery, mm -hmm. or uh, the, the voice of uh, the um, biological process of adaptation, uh, uh, we do what accrues uh, to the good of the species uh, uh, thanks to mm. a process of natural selection and so on and so forth. And for this reason, conscience has, uh, is about to lose uh, its worth. The snag being that if conscience loses its worth, democracy loses its foundation. Democracy will, I hope this won't happen, but democracy very well could founder mm -hmm. simply because of uh, uh, the absence <coughs> of uh, its last grounding on the divinity of the commandments of conscience. One last question for you that relates to the others because it's a little bit different. You are the recipient of an award named after Pope Benedict XVI, Cardinal Ratzinger. And Pope Benedict XVI has suggested that while the early church faced the pagan world mm -hmm. and had the task of converting the pagan world or at least uh, trying to survive the persecution from the pagan world, their task was in a sense relatively easy because the pagan world was ignorant of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Whereas the paganism that we face in our day is a, a paganism that, is, that knows Christianity and that has consciously rejected it, or thinks it knows Christianity, and has consciously rejected it. And so overcoming that kind of paganism is overcoming a much more determined force. Can you comment on that? Is that uh, accurate in your view? Is it a good presentation? And if so, what are the prospects? 
Well, this utterance of Pope Benedict, whom I admire immensely, by the way, uh, triggered in me a, a chain of reasonings, and I'm still at it, as a matter of fact. I'm still trying to uh, shed more light on these, on these issues, which are, well, rather delicate uh, in nature. Well, paganism, up to a point, was okay. Paganism, was it? I mean, real paganism, what we call at present by the name of paganism, I mean the ancient religion, mm -hmm. was a tangled skein of good and bad things. It was a mixture. It was some sort of a mongrel being made of uh, the highest aspirations of religious consciousness on the one hand, and of the basest basest instincts uh, that uh, could, uh, well, uh, give vent to themselves, sort of, uh, in slavery, in prostitution, in uh, human sacrifice and things like that. Well, if we were able to fall back into this kind of paganism, this wouldn't be that awful. Uh, this would be certainly unpleasant. But the real trouble is that we can't, we can't, we, have, uh, we haven't the, the, the physical stamina, sort of, uh, the, the intellectual possibilities for us to fall back into paganism, or to fall, or to, to, to retrieve paganism. Falling is derogatory in nature. Uh, what I mean is that we are at present unable to see uh, goddesses in sources, goddesses of fecundity in green trees, uh, uh, or in the uh, fecundity of uh, herds of cattle, uh, of flocks of sheep, or uh, all things that were self-evident for the uh, for the ancient. Uh, was about to say believers, and they were not believers, properly speaking. They simply saw uh, divinity uh, in the world. We can't do that any longer because modern science has taught us that there is no such thing as dryads, you know, the mm. divinities living in trees. There is no such thing as naiads the divinities living in sources or in the sea or places like that, we became blind, or, or perhaps on the contrary, we became too perspicuous, we uh, uh, can't uh, uh, imagine uh, the existence of such beings. Or if we can, this is only in the form of uh, a playful, uh, narrative. I'm thinking of this wonderful book for children, The Wind of the Willows, mm -hmm. by Kenneth Graham. And there is a chapter in which he succeeds, and the writer succeeds in uh, making us kind of believe uh, in the god Pan. You know, when the child of uh, 
oh, I don't remember, is, is this a mole or a, some animal? The, uh, the, 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 the cub of some animal has got lost and is found in the, in the arms of God, the god Pan, who gives it back to, uh, to uh, his parents. And well, we uh, believe um, uh, for one page, and when we shut the book, that's a way. It's, it's a, a, a play for estates, or for a, a, some sort of nostalgic play. But at present, we can't. Uh, we can't do that anymore. And for this reason, the kind of thing into which we could really fall back, into, uh, not back, <laughs> fall to core, would be far worse. <laughs> i.e. a word that would be at the same time devoid of any uh, godly color, uh, devoid of any meaning, and run exclusively by, uh, well, uh, sheer uh, force, uh, not only brachial force, but the force of, uh, of the intellect. It would be the the reign of uh, the gifted over, uh, well, the less gifted. And there is something of that kind in the transhumanist mm -hmm. dream, or in some aspects of this dream, which is complicated, not to mention the question about its feasibility or, or lack of it. And, and, well, I wonder whether... Uh, Without uh, the the belief, without faith, faith in a transcendent point of reference, let us call him God. That's uh, since we are among us. Uh, we, in the absence of uh, faith in God, uh, what we would fall into would be far worse than the ancient world which was sort of saturated with godly things, perhaps not necessarily with a personal god, not necessarily with a god who uh, well, comes into human history in order to rescue a man from his sin, but there was some, some godliness in that. And at present we are left in front of a world that is totally empty of uh, any uh, divine dimension, with the exception of the possible access that we can have to the biblical God. Professor Brog, thank you for your time, for sharing your You're fruits of your welcome. insight and your study, and we appreciate it very much. You're very welcome. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Sources. I hope you enjoyed the interview and we'll keep the conversation going. We have more great episodes coming up soon, so please join me again and bring your friends and family. I'm Andrew Zwerneman. For everyone at Kena Academy, we look forward to meeting you again on Sources. Sources.